Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode features dramatizations and discussions of dismemberment and death. Listener discretion is advised. Something else to note, the story you're about to hear is not based on a singular myth of the Grootslang. This mythical monster lies on the fringes between hard science and ancient legend, a domain called cryptozoology. For this story, we've mined ancient folklore and first-hand accounts of explorers who claim to have come face-to-face with the creature. The Nama tribeswoman, Sarji, walked for hours through the scrublands, eventually reaching a gaping hole in the center of the desert. Standing at the entrance, she remembered the campfire stories of the treasure that lay within and the warnings to stay away. Carefully, Sarji lowered herself into the caverns. Bats swirled overhead as she traversed the tunnel, Then, in the shadowy darkness, a thousand glimmering lights appeared. They were diamonds, thousands of them, covering practically every surface of the cave's walls. Sarji's eyes went wide at the beauty of the gems. Stepping forward, she plucked one of the largest stones from the wall and held it up to examine it in the dim light. But then a low rumble filled the cave. The wall directly in front of Sarji, from which she had just taken the diamond, was uncoiling. Her eyes traveled up the enormous body, glittering with the light of countless diamonds wedged in its skin. The breath caught in her throat as she struggled to comprehend what she was looking at. She saw the trunk of an elephant, the black body of a snake, tusks, fangs, razor-sharp claws, and glittering diamond eyes that stared into her own. Sarji hoped it would be quick. The beast lunged, razor claws tearing her flesh, great feet mashing her limbs, and terrible fangs ripping at her face. Sarji's eyes closed as the tusk erupted from her chest and the diamond fell from her hands. Satisfied that its hoard was safe once more, the terrible Grootslang vanished into the dark caverns beyond, leaving Sarji's broken and mangled body on the floor of the cave. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every week we dive into history's most legendary monsters, In telling their stories, we hope to shed light on some truths hidden behind the creation of these beasts, where they come from, 
what they symbolize, and how they expose humanity's greatest fears. You can find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythical Monsters for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. Today, we'll be discussing the Groot Slang, a legendary creature said to live in the Rectorsveld, a desert region of South Africa, as we explore several folktales and treasure hunters' journals concerning the creature, we'll examine whether the Groot slang is an abomination from the dawn of the earth or a mythological warning against the dangers of man's greed. In the northwest corner of South Africa, not far from the border of modern-day Namibia, lies a stretch of mountainous desert known as the Rectorsveld. This rugged landscape is home to the Nama people, an aboriginal group of shepherds who also happen to be one of the oldest indigenous groups on the African continent. The Namas have a storied history of folklore and myth that's been passed down from generation to generation through word of mouth. And one of their earliest tales concerns the terrifying mythical beast known as the Groot Slang. Described as half-elephant, half-snake, different interpretations of the creature gave it attributes such as a diamond-studded body or eyes that had been replaced by gems. The most frequent depiction of the Groot Slang today is a monstrous serpent at least 40 feet long and 3 feet wide. The origin of this monster provides a glimpse into the Nama's traditional view of their gods, especially their creator god, Sui Goab. To understand how such a frightening thing came to be, we must travel back to the very dawn of creation. The first god of the Nama, Sui Goab, had been quite busy. He created the light and the dark and separated the water below from the sky above. He gave the sky its moon. He built mountains for protection and trees for shade. Every element, from the first star after sunset to the emerald green of the leaf, arose from Sui Goab's hand. Then the god began to populate his new earth. First he made the animals. With the flick of his wrist, he dotted the horizons with birds of a hundred hues. He placed the moles and voles under the dark loam underfoot. From his creative mind sprung the tiniest field mice, the deepest fish of the river, and the spotted and striped denizens of the forests and fields. But Sui Goab wasn't satisfied yet. He had made creatures of cunning and intelligence. He had formed beasts with incredible strength. But each of these was weak in its own way. Sui Goab sat and thought to himself, Now I shall make something truly magnificent. He took the darkest soil he could find, 
fresh from the heart of a volcano, he added traits from other animals, the strength of a lion, the smarts of a wild boar. Fashioning it into his latest creation, Sui Goab made the Groot Slang. It was a horrific beast equipped with a muscular body, a serpent's tail, razor-sharp claws, a battering trunk, horns, scales, venomous fangs, and a multitude of sharpened tusks. Its hide was thick, tarnished copper with a slight green network of veins running underneath. It was enormous, it was quick, it was strong, it was clever, and it was now reproducing. Sui Goab continued to create, populating all the reaches of the earth, from the deepest oceans to the highest mountains. At the end of the day, he returned to the desert landscape where he had begun, exhausted, yet proud. But as he stared at the landscape, his eyes widened, his brow furrowed, and his heart pounded furiously in his chest. The desert was littered with bloody carcasses. Entire species had been torn asunder and consumed. Something was destroying his creations. Sui Goab followed the trail of blood and bones until he reached the culprit. A nest of Grootslangs lay in a pile of bones, their stomachs swollen, having gorged themselves on the creatures of the land. Sui Goab stared at his mightiest creation with a mixture of fury and horror. Now he saw his great error. By placing great intellect and unmatched strength in the same beast, he had made something magnificently horrible. He had created an abomination. Sui Goab had to fix his mistake. He rounded up all of the Grootslangs and began ripping them to pieces, weeping as he did so. But Sui Goab could not bear to let his creations go to waste completely. From the leftover pieces of the Grootslang, he formed two new species. All of the Grootslang's strength, its impervious hide, ivory tusks, and trunk became the elephant, while its long, slender body, its venom, its instinct and cunning became the first snake. After the task was complete, Sui Goab sat back to consider his work. He watched the elephants lumber toward the plains, while the snakes slithered toward the dense jungle. Each creature was magnificent in its own way, but neither were as awesome or terrible as the Grootslang had been. Sui Goab returned to the task of creation, still mourning the loss of the great beast, but glad that the grim task was finally done. Or so he thought. One Grootslang had escaped, it had watched from the jungle in fear as Sui Goab tore its siblings asunder, and when the creator's back was turned, it fled. Escaping as fast as it could, it traveled over rocky fields and craggy deserts until at long last it reached a cavernous hole into the earth. This, the Grootslang thought, 
was the perfect place to hide. It would remain deep underground, where Sui Goab would never find it. And if any creature was foolish enough to disturb its home, they would learn why Sui Goab had sought to strike it from existence. After all, it was still the most clever and powerful creature on Earth. After the break, the Grootslang slithers out of legend and claims its first recorded victim. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. eBay gets it, so look for the blue checkmark next to that thing you love, and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Now back to the story. The Groot Slang is a legendary beast from the folklore of the Nama people, an ethnic group that still lives in Namibia, Botswana, and South Africa. Described as a half-elephant, half-snake monster, it was said to be a mistake of creation. And while the myth states that most Groot Slang were destroyed by the creator, one survived. Snakes appear throughout the folklore of the Nama people, who saw them as symbols of both creation and death. The creator god Sui Goab has himself been described as a shape-changer who, transformed into every single plant and animal in turn, shedding his skin like a snake to become the next item in its turn. His counterpart was Gaunab, the god of death, who controlled the serpents of the land. Later stories about the Grootslang demoted the significance of its elephantine qualities, describing it simply as an enormous serpent. But there was one area in which the stories remained consistent, the location where the Grootslang was said to live. At the center of the hostile panorama that is the Rectorsveld lies a wonder of nature, a cavernous sinkhole that stretches deep into the bowels of the earth. The locals know it as the bottomless pit. Dutch Afrikaans speakers called it the wonder hole. The hole is essentially a fissure in limestone with a 40-meter vertical shaft for an entrance. It eventually levels off at the bottom, extending into an endless warren of uncharted tunnels. The locals say that this labyrinth of dark caverns extends all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, at least 40 miles away. But it's another legendary feature of the caves that has served as their primary draw. Locals say that the caverns are thick with diamonds, a reputation that would make it a prime attraction for foreigners throughout the 20th century. Unfortunately for those treasure seekers, the caverns have also been a hotbed of Grootslang and giant serpent sightings. In 1917, Oxford-educated businessman Peter Grayson was desperate. Having lost his family's fortune to bad investments, he needed to find a way to make his money back and fast. Sitting in his local smoking room, Peter overheard two men discussing their latest voyage to the coast of Africa. 
quietly eavesdropping on the men, Peter saw one withdraw a tremendous gem from his waistcoat pocket. It was the single largest diamond Grayson had ever seen. Over the next few weeks, Peter scoured the newspapers, looking for news of other tremendous finds on the African continent. He decided to try his own luck. Creditors pounded on the door of his family's estate. Peter, though, was a world away on a ship bound for Africa. Before leaving, he told all of his friends, I am determined to return to England as a very rich man or a dead man. At first, Grayson's luck was tremendous. In the port, he found six European men to join his expedition. Each was an expert in various skills from navigation to linguistics. But Peter needed a companion to help him communicate with the tribes of the interior. And so, for his seventh crew member, he chose Utiko, a Nama tribesman. After the expedition failed to find anything of value at several sites in South Africa, Utiko told them of a legend from his tribe. As the moon rose high and full above them, Utiko spread his arms wide, describing the immense riches found in the Wonder Hole. Jokingly, he told Grayson, In the cave, there are diamonds larger than my head. But Utiko went on with his story, talking about a dreaded monster that guards the cave. One of the members of the expedition, an Afrikaner named Jans, translated the monster's name, Grootslang, into Great Snake. Grayson, however, wasn't interested in a mythological serpent. He couldn't stop thinking about the diamonds out there in the wilderness, diamonds that would finally solve all of his problems. As the rest of the expedition turned in for the night, Grayson stayed awake, looking up at the skies above South Africa, imagining his future. In the morning, he roused every member of his party before the sun had hit the lowest branch of the shortest tree. Everyone could tell that he was lusting after the diamonds Utiko had mentioned. He ordered everyone to move out. Putting Utiko at the front of the party, he shouted, Lead us to the diamonds. The expedition traveled over the highest of the mountains and into the lowest of valleys, following Utiko with a manic intensity. Finally, they reached the Rectorsveld, the land of the diamond-filled cave, and the Grootslang. With the setting sun beating down upon them, they tied up their horses and made camp for the evening. That night, everyone was in high spirits. By now, Grayson had excited the rest of the expedition with visions of vast wealth, discussing the great things they would soon buy when they procured these diamonds. They were all certain they were about to be rich. Each finally went to bed, a smile on their faces, a greedy dream in their hearts. While the party slept, a lion tore into the campsite in the dead of night and ripped apart a tent. One of the expedition members never saw it coming, dead before his eyes opened. 
The man's death scream woke the rest of the camp. Another member ran away in panic, the blood-smeared lion in pursuit. He managed to escape with his life, but was severely injured. In less than 24 hours, Grayson's party had shrunk from seven to five, yet it was only the start of his misfortunes. Three days later, while trekking to the Wonder Hole, a third member took ill. Collapsing to the ground, he stuck his knife in a wound on his leg, trying to get at the itch inside. A few hours later, he died, the victim of either a poisonous insect or snake bite. The caravan of misfortune was still not complete, yet another member came down with a fever that sent shivers through his frame so rough it almost snapped his bones. Through delirium, he pleaded to Grayson, "'Please give up this quest. Just take me home.'" With the man sick to a point of uselessness, the sad expedition was now down to four. One of the few remaining, the Afrikaner Yance, had truly listened to the Nama man's tale. After all the misfortune, he began to wonder if there was indeed a curse on the cave. As they passed a deep river, Utiko pointed at a dark rock in the center of the water. He told the rest of the group, in that rock, there lives a Grootslang. Thinking this was the return of his good fortune, Grayson decided to look for diamonds inside. As Utiko watched, Grayson constructed dynamite cartridges complete with fuses and detonators. The Englishman hurled the dynamite as near to the rocks as he could. As he stood on the shore, Grayson yelled to his guide, Come hell or high water, Utiko, I am going to blow your so-called monster out of his home. The water shot 30 feet high into the air. Fish exploded from the dynamited river. Birds flew away, spooked by the explosion. Finally, a large python emerged from a deep crevice in the rock. Grayson pointed and laughed. There's your Grootslang. The rest of his expedition thought Grayson had gone a little mad. They found no diamonds inside that crevice, but Grayson was now even more invigorated and determined to reach the Wonder Hole. He marched the group deeper into the desert. He would have no more delays. When the expedition finally reached the area near the cave, Grayson was warned by the local tribal leaders not to enter the Wonder Hole, reiterating Utiko's concern that to do so would lead to certain death. Even his companion, the loyal Yance, attempted to dissuade him. But Peter Grayson huffed. He was not going to be intimidated by old wives' tales. Seeing his all-consuming mania reaching a fever pitch, the remaining members offered to take the malaria victim to a nearby village for medical treatment. It was a great excuse to get away from the obsessed Grayson. After the men left, Grayson prepared to enter the cave. He didn't need any of them. He would claim the treasure for himself. Once more, the tribal leaders attempted to sway the treasure seeker. But Grayson simply said, I will see you all soon enough, 
I'll be back with the diamonds, ta-ta, with the tribal elders watching on in sheer horror, Grayson climbed into the Wonder Hole. The heat inside was stifling. Head swimming, he removed the many layers of his suit and continued into the dark tunnels. Sometime later, he paused to get his bearings, wiping his face on the monogrammed handkerchief he carried. Examining the walls of the cave, he felt suddenly that he had been in this spot before. Perhaps he was going in circles. Then he saw it. A diamond protruding from the wall of the cave. Grayson took out his hunting knife and, with some effort, managed to pry the gem free. He held it in the palm of his hand, staring down at it in awe. It was even larger than the one he'd seen at the smoking room in London. The legends had been true. Down the next tunnel, he found yet another diamond, even bigger than the first. With greed as his compass, Grayson traveled deeper and deeper. Soon, his pouch was full of the heavy gemstones. He would have to turn back. As Grayson turned, he found himself staring into the two largest diamonds yet, round, glittering gems sparkling at him from the darkness. But somehow, they were getting closer. At first, Grayson thought his ears were deceiving him. Something was moving in the cave, its slick body slithering over the rocks. As the twin diamonds came nearer, a low hiss filled the cave. Grayson's jaw fell open. Those giant diamonds were staring at him from the eye sockets of a monstrous serpent, which was slithering quickly toward him. Grayson turned and ran. But he soon became lost, and the monster remained just behind him. With the sack of jewels weighing him down, he was getting quite exhausted. Gasping for breath, Grayson made one last dash, in the distance, he could see a faint glow of daylight. He was going to make it. He reached the steep cliff face that led back to the surface. Horror washed over him as he realized his conundrum. He would never be able to scale the cliff with the heavy sack of diamonds weighing him down. Tears filled his eyes. Grayson looked down at the sack of gleaming gemstones. For a moment, he'd believed the beautiful things could have changed his life and solved all his problems. He would have been richer than his wildest dreams. He had come so far just to end so close to his goal. Grayson's fist tightened on the sack. He had come too far to leave empty-handed. Turning to face the monster, Grayson wiped the handkerchief once more across his grimy brow. He screamed, for England, and charged. <coughs> Next, yet another adventurer searches for the legendary treasure of the Grootslang. Now, back to the story. In 1917, 
an English businessman named Peter Grayson is said to have disappeared while searching for diamonds in the Rectorsveld landscape of South Africa. Many locals believe that he had met his end inside the Wonder Hole, a vast sinkhole that was said to be the home of the giant mythological serpent known as the Grootslang. Grayson was not the first explorer to go missing near the Wonder Hole, but his death would only fuel belief in the Grootslang, and along with it, the belief that the caves were full of diamonds. For many, the allure of untold riches deep within the bowels of the earth was irresistible. And if the diamond hoard was guarded by a giant mythical serpent, that was a risk they were willing to take. According to local legend, many men followed Peter Grayson's footsteps into the Wonder Hole. None returned to report what they'd seen, at least until many years later. Travis peered into the bottomless pit as he prepared his equipment. He couldn't wait to get down into the shade and out of the South African heat. A group of local Nama tribesmen stood nearby, watching him apprehensively. It was 1945, and Travis had just left the war-scarred fields of Europe. He was ready to get back to some normalcy, and that meant a return to the job he had left behind. Travis was a prospector, like his father and grandfather before him. But this would be his first time out since before the war, and already Travis was breaking one of his father's rules. Never go in without a map. Sadly, no survey existed for the cave. Travis had managed to get a rough sketch of the tunnels from a Nama tribeswoman, but it was barely decipherable. Still, he had spent hours studying the drawing, perplexed by the haphazard and deadly angles, the impossibly steep descent, and the sudden drop into nothingness. The tribeswoman hadn't wanted him to go. She kept repeating a single word over and over. Groot slang. His translator had interpreted it as a great big snake. The woman had looked directly into Travis's eyes, as if mimicking the hypnotic gaze of a snake. But Travis laughed it off. As the Nama tribe watched, Travis carefully secured his harness, ratcheting the rope tight around the winch. Then he stared into the gaping maw of darkness before him. With a quick exhale, he stepped into oblivion. A moment later, the prospector repelled into the black. Leaning back, his boots scratched the wall as he meticulously descended. Each movement sent echoes rippling through the cave. In Travis's imagination, the sounds became the distant slithering of a very large snake. But as before, the prospector laughed it off as nerves. Below, he could just make out the faint whisper of the tide. After all, the ocean was supposed to be somewhere at the end of these caverns. Soon, he was swallowed by the darkness. Travis flipped on his miner's headlamp and was greeted by a shrill scream. A moment later, he was being dive-bombed by a cloud of angry bats. 
He spun around on his rope, the walls flashing past in a dizzying blend of leathery wings and hot yellow light. Finally, the soles of his feet hit solid rock. He had reached the first ledge, about 65 feet down. Travis removed his handkerchief, wiping the grimy sweat from his forehead. It was so hot and claustrophobic that he felt like he was stepping into hell itself. Travis took a step forward and kicked something hard on the ground. He looked down, swinging the yellow light to the cave floor. A pile of dusty bones lay at his feet. They looked like they'd been there for a long time. Perhaps some animal had fallen down and gotten trapped. He took another step, and the light fell on a human skull. Travis tried to swallow, but his throat was parched. The heat was mounting like a blast furnace, and now he had found the remains of a person. He felt sick to his stomach. With the call and response chants of the Nama echoing from above, the roar of the sea somewhere, and the leathery tornado of bats slipping around his head, Travis felt like he was in a demented kaleidoscope. Then he saw it. A small sack lay beside the bones. Curiosity getting the better of him, Travis nudged the burlap with his foot. A diamond tumbled out, clattering on the ground and sending echoes through the cavern. Travis lifted the sack, examining the contents with awe. It was brimming with glittering jewels. The hairs on the back of Travis's neck stood up. He peered into the darkness, straining to hear the distant sound. It wasn't his imagination this time. Something was slithering through the tunnel, and it sounded like it was getting closer. Travis removed his lamp and shone it down the tunnel, slowly scanning back and forth. He stopped when two glittering lights shone back at him. Travis stumbled back in terror, tripping over the bones and dropping both the lamp and the sack of gems, plunging the cave into instant darkness. The glittering eyes were gone, but the hissing sound was getting louder. Now on the verge of terror, Travis fumbled through his pocket for a book of matches. He struck one and held it before him, but the light was too dim to see more than a foot in front of him. It was, however, enough to make out the two glittering eyes, now giant orbs hovering in the darkness. He froze, hoping against hope that the monster would mistake him for dead. He could just make out a tail, coiling around the sack and diamond he had dropped. Then, amazingly, it retreated, pulling the treasure back into the darkness. Travis's match went out, taking the glittering eyes with it. Travis woke up outside the cave, the tribeswoman having dumped a large flagon of water upon him. Apparently, he'd been screaming for help, and the Nama had pulled him to the surface. All Travis could remember is the heat, the darkness, the stench of sulfur, and those glittering eyes. 
The fact that both the mythical Grootslang and the diamonds it covets come from the subterranean realm, the land of death, does not seem a simple coincidence. Indeed, one can imagine early Nama storytellers using the Grootslang as a moral warning against the danger of material greed. If one seeks such wealth, danger is sure to follow. This symbolism became all the more potent around the turn of the 20th century with the discovery of rich gold and diamond deposits in and around South Africa. Treasure-seeking Europeans flocked to the area, quickly transforming its formerly agrarian economy into a major supplier of precious minerals. The sudden growth of the new mining industry had massive effects on South African politics. It contributed to the outbreak of the Second Boer War, a conflict that had devastating effects on the native African population. Diamond and gold mining have caused massive and lasting damage to the region's environment, endangering thousands of species of plants and animals, putting strain on water supplies, and contributing to the spread of diseases like malaria. The Grootslang may have begun as a form of tribal boogeyman, a way to keep the young and foolish away from a dangerous cave. But as the diamond trade began to invade the Khoikhoi's culture and lands, it evolved, becoming an avatar for the folly of material greed and a defender of Africa's natural world. Whether a tale to impart moral wisdom, an atavistic myth, or a creature that escaped the creator god, the Grootslang remains an ever-present ghost of the Rectorsfeld. This elephant-sized, serpentine monster will forever guard its home, ready to punish those looking to plunder the earth for their own gain. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Drew Moreland, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 